0: This one's actually really fun because this is an hour series. Uh, I'm going to get it started, kick us off. But actually, I'm the only uh, only going to do this first one, and then myself and Gillespie and Amy Seifert and Ricky May. I don't think in that order are going to uh, do a series that we've called Walk, and uh, Walk is one of those one of those Christiany words that we like to use. Um, if you if you're the kind of person who maybe didn't grow up around the church or haven't been around, very quickly you come to find that Christians have like little, every, every culture has their own words they use, and, and we have them, and walk's one of them. But it's a really cool word, and I want to share why we use it, because it's a bible and so we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to give you this quick overview of the word walk, and then what we want to do with it. And, and it's, I'm just going to work from Ephesians here, and I want to show you a couple verses. So if you, if you open to the book of Ephesians, if you brought a Bible, please do. Uh, I'm going to start in chapter four. I'm going to fly across a couple of things. But it's the sixth chapter book, and it's really been held high in esteem for Christians because unlike Romans, which is 16 chapters that gets like deep into super theological pursuits, Ephesians tends to stay super to the point. It takes three chapters to tell us about the work of our Jesus, what he did, what it means to us, how it sets us alive, and all these things. And and for three chapters, there are literally no command verbs except for remember. And then you turn the page to chapter 4, and it says, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. You see, they didn't use the word. And some of your translations, if you actually have like one of those... uh, when you translate from one language to the next, there's always the problem of how do I want that to work? If I want to go from Spanish to English, and, and, I, and someone asks me the uh, question in Spanish, uh, you know, ¿cuántos, ¿cuántos años tienes, or whatever it is? Do you say, how old are you? Or do you go literally, how many years do you have? If you, if you don't know Spanish, that's, they literally say, how many years do you have? And it actually subtly says something different about how they think about time and age, doesn't it? But we tend to, if we want to translate into English, we tend to bring it into our colloquialisms and sometimes miss the effect of what might be there, like how many years do you have? And in this case, the Greek mind, the the way they thought of life was it wasn't a thing you lived, it was a thing you walked. You didn't live your life, you walked it. And that makes a lot of sense, because they didn't have cars, right? You actually, life was one big long journey that kept coming back to the same bed a lot. But you journeyed, you walked, you walked, you walked. And they thought of their life that way, and the reason I want you to hear that because Christians often use the phrase "walk with God." In my walk with God, I, right? and we and we we have that phrase, but what we literally mean by it, if you see how this kind of word is, it's my life with God, my living with God, my journey with God, and that's such a different way of thinking about Him, because so often. If I'm not careful, God is someone who I check in with to start a day. Maybe I have a quiet time. Maybe I open, read a psalm and pray or, or something like that. And then I check out and get on with the business of walking my life without him. And the Christians really thought of a walk as something you did with God. Watch how you walk. So just more of them. and In Ephesians, so after he talks about it, he talks about how our gifts build the body, and they said next section. So I say this and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And, and, he, and he means the outsiders, the Greek mind with its idolatry. He's like, and he talks about the kind of sins that we, we want to avoid. And then he goes on to chapter 5, and he says, you know, be imitators of God. And he talks about walking in love, living in love with love as my, as my way of thinking of people, as my way of thinking about the world. And then he spends half a chapter talking about how will we love that love out from one another, how we, how we avoid sexual immorality and instead think of people not as something that we consume for our own well-being, but instead give them love and, and care and submitting to one another and all those things. And then, and he's, again, he says, look carefully how you walk. Walk, walk, walk. So I want to share with you about a journey I was on once. I think this was seven years ago, I was with my brother-in-law and a couple guys, and we decided to hike some of the most remote mountains in Colorado, it's called the Aeolus Group. And there's four, of you know, the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado, and they're super fun to hike, and and, uh, we had finished hiking all four, and it was one o'clock in the afternoon, and we originally planned to stay the night there and then hike out the next day, but we thought we were going to be ambitious to see if we could do it. And so we headed out, and we decided not to take the route that we took in, because that's the route everybody takes. It's like an 18-mile hike, and we'd already done that one. We wanted to take the route less traveled, the Endlick Mesa Trail. And this picture here is standing at the end of the Endlick Mesa. That's actually me. Oh, no, go back, go back, go back, go back. Uh, uh, That's me standing there. And you can see this valley, and then it kind of curved there. That's Lake Marie, and then it curves around. There's a... um, a reservoir there, and you think there's a reservoir. That means we're almost a civilization, right? I mean, right, <laughs> right. And then, and then we were supposed to come up across, and we're hiking along, and it's going fantastic. I mean, great. We're we're our spirits are high, you know, because when you're hiking down off the mountains, you're, you're gaining speed, right? And and the air, and there's getting more oxygen in the air, and we're killing it, and. Uh, And we're walking along the path, and and there's these things in the mountains, because often you're above where vegetation grows. They'll make these piles of rocks, often as high as a person. They're called cairns. And and I'm walking, and probably about a half mile ahead, I can see the next cairn. The path is straight, and it's great. And my brother-in-law goes, and he stops. He goes, we need to turn left. Well, I hadn't even noticed it, but it was this. We were walking along this edge of like sort of the pines that kind of like headed up and it was time to turn left and head up. And it looked like, it's kind of dark in the screen here, but it was as foreboding as it looks. And the, the path ahead is, it's the one. It's a, There's a cairn. And I'm like, you can't, that can't be right. He's looking at the map. Staring at it. He's like, no, we got to turn left here. I'm like, no, it can't be right. We're, we're not that far yet because sometimes on the map you think you've gone farther. So we lose a ton of time because I, I, I put my foot down. I'm like, the, you can see the stone, Karen. We walked all the way up, half mile up, looking around, can't find the trail. It ends at some sort of camp where like people like would drive in and put their horses or their four-wheelers, and then they go hunt up in the hills. Come back, we've got to do that. Here's the deal. And by the way, it was horrible because... The reason it looked like that was unused was because bugs had been uh, eating the pines in Colorado and the whole hillside was like trees falling over. We lost the trail. It was, it was an odyssey from there, I could tell you at some time. But what I want you to catch is this. The Christian life from the sermon point of view is often like the map. It's like, uh, it's like you stand on this crest and like, oh, we're just going to go across that valley over here. It's gonna, it looked so easy in the last picture. The sun was shining, it was bright, the lake was pretty, we were gonna nail this thing. But when you get down on the ground of the Christian life, and all those things that the sermons taught you, they can sound a little like turn left here into the creepy wood where maybe it's gonna turn into Wizard of Oz or something on you, you know, and 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 and, and, and we're like, God, that, that can't be the way. No, the way is straight before me. This looks nice, that looks bad. You know what I'm talking about? The point of this series walk is to actually stand on the ground with a number of different Christians who all seek to live out the Christian life. And some of our challenges, some of the things we've learned about walking with them, the goal, though, is not to, like, stand in the sky and teach it at you. The goal is to stand on the ground with you and say, this is what it's like. So with that in mind, I want to take you back to college. And uh, I was a young Christian. I, I mean, I grew up as a Christian. And I went off to college, and I kind of had to make that decision. Did I really want to keep God in my life? And I got involved with Crew, the campus ministry, and I really loved it. And and I'm moving along, and someone uh, says, well, what do you know about the Holy Spirit? And and I come from the charismatic world, and so the Holy Spirit's the one that makes people speak in tongues kind of a thing. I didn't, but that's, (laughs) Us charismatics, we hang out sometimes. We're like, yeah. And we raise our hands in church, and and, we're just a thing. But. Anyway, what ended up happening at that point in my life, though, is I saw him as somebody who produced phenomenon, but when I got to college and got involved with crew, I realized he wanted to produce actual fruit in my life. So often when we say the Trinity, it's like the Father, that's who we pray for. Jesus, he's the one who saved us, and the Holy Spirit, he's the third one, so it can be a Trinity and not a duidity. And, and, you know, it kind of went on. And, and someone handed me this booklet. This was a thing. This is kind of old. They don't use it anymore. Doesn't that look like it was like 1988 kind of thing? It was 1991. Uh, Have you made the wonderful discovery of the Spirit-filled life? And someone taught me how I could day by day place my soul before the Lord in such a way as that I could feel His power in my life to change and be the person I wanted to be. Well, that sounded great. And I want to even share with you the prayer that's at the end of this book, where the kind of thing that a person can do, where after sharing who His Holy Spirit is, and there's a lot of, I mean, it's great, by the way. I highly recommend looking this up. There's this prayer. Dear Father, I need you. I acknowledge that I've been directing my own life, and as a result, I've been sinning against you. You know, been there. Uh, I thank you that you have forgiven my sins through Christ's death on the cross for me. And I invite Christ to again take his place on the throne of my life. The book talk a lot about the throne of your life, circles a little throne and Jesus on it. And, and so you're invited to, to do that again, to place him on the throne. And fill me with the Holy Spirit as you commanded me to be filled, and as you promised in your word that you would do if I asked in faith. And I thank you for directing my life and for filling me with the Holy Spirit that's like the map. That's standing on the hillside. And it's important because as we learn to follow what God gave to us, we begin to see changes in our lives. But what I found was as I would pray that prayer, about halfway through the day, it was like it was all gone because my normal sort of fleshly heart and the way that I thought about life continued to take over, right? And I began to learn that although this map was indispensable for me learning how to access God's power, I was going to need to learn to walk the trail, even when the creepy turn left into the Wizard of Oz Woods was going to come. That's what the sermon series is about. How can we take this sort of skill, where we learn to place our heart before God in repentance and trust, and actually walk it out on the daily level? So that's what we're about. And we uh, each took some piece of the Christian life that we wanted to share. Um, I know Amy wants to talk about how she's learned to read the Bible and what's that meant to her, not in terms of here's your four ways to read the Bible, but just on the daily level. Today, I chose prayer. And I didn't choose prayer because I am the maestro of it. I am not the guru who goes and ascends to a high place and sits cross-legged and prays for 17 hours of the day, and I, and I, and I, but I'd like to be. And often when I've heard the old Christians talk about prayer, my heart hurts because I know that I only partially know what they're talking about. And I want to share with you just some of my journey into what I've learned about being a person who really understands and practices prayer more and more, okay? So I wanted to start with a little bit of the practicality, just to sort of like the let's be honest with each other. Why don't we pray? Because growing up in church, it was often presented something like this. If you knew the power of God, you should pray, We're supposed to pray, should, supposed to, supposed to, should. And I felt guilty that I didn't. I still feel that guilt because I was raised in that world. I feel it. And yet, I wanted, as I prepared this, just to ask the honest question, well, why not? If prayer could really do what the Bible says it could do, I don't think anyone would ever should me. If I really understood it, I think I would want to all the time. Why wouldn't a person? Any more than, uh, if you would, this is a little bit of a stretch, but if I held Aladdin's lamp and someone's like, you should use the lamp. Well, I just kind of would when I wanted to, right? Well, we're not going to reduce God to a genie or anything foolish today. Why don't we pray? Well, let's talk. Honest, first one, many people don't know how. Just don't know how. Uh, A number of years ago, um, when we were working the campus ministry, uh, Amy and I got this call from a sorority who uh, they had this girl in a sorority who had this really crazy rare medical disorder where her blood vessels were literally breaking down in her body. And they thought she was going to die, and I think the doctors figured it out. But at the moment the, the moment was at the worst, they called us and said, will you please come pray with us? This is random sorority on campus, and, and we come in. And the, the wave of relief that came, because when Amy and I walked in, and what they said was this curious thing. I had never heard anyone say something like it, and, and it just struck me so odd. They said, oh, whew, someone who knows how to pray. I, I, I guess I hadn't. When you grow up in church, it's just what you do. You talk to God. From the time you're little, you just say, dear Jesus, and then you say the things, and then you amen at it at the end. And, but for them, it was like, Somebody who knows the magic formula, like can unlock it and, and like type in the, the secret codes to God. And, and I was stunned, but I realized, and, and, and I've never been released from that thought, that maybe many of you literally feel like, I don't know what to do. We're going to talk about that a little at the end. A second one, reason we don't pray, feel unworthy. Have you ever done the thing, where maybe you go to pray and your heart instinctively goes and checks your sin list to see how you've been doing? We're like, okay, God, I feel like, and then and then, if you're anything like me, maybe you've done this thing where you actually try to like bargain with God. Hey, God, I've been doing uh, pretty good lately. So when I pray this prayer, I'm feeling more confident that you have to. <laughs> Our kids try that with us, by the way. All right? when they When they feel the fear... That, that, that I might not want to say yes. If they think they've got a bargaining chip, they might play it. You know, so like we, uh, we want to go to the pool. They might begin with something like, so uh, we haven't gone to the pool much lately. And, you know, you, you feel it coming. They're like, ah, oh, you're going to try to bargain with me. You just got, you're not actually going to ask. Interesting, interesting. How about this one? We're afraid it won't work. I want to share really honestly with this one in my life. A number of years ago, uh, I was uh, on a mission trip in, actually in Istanbul. It was amazing. I had a great time and we got to do all sorts of fun things. And I met a man, a young man named Eric Steffen. And uh, he was one of the people who was working on like sort of a one year deal with with crew there. And then he came on staff and he became the man who like organized so much of our international and what we do. Christians the world over adored this guy. People just loved him. He was that kind of guy who you could not help but love. He was filled with life and energy. But he did do one thing I, I was really um, resented him for, and that was uh, before Amy led crew, there was a woman named Kelly who led crew. And she was single and really beautiful, and Eric took her away from us. He married her, and they had this super awesome marriage, couple kids, they were in love. And it was just, people loved Eric. And then one Christmas day, he had this splitting headache and it kept getting worse and he went to the hospital and it was brain cancer. And the clock began to tick. And, uh, you know, I wasn't super close to Eric. You know, I, you know, like, who am I? I was just some young staff guy, but, but he was always very kind and polite to me. But everyone loved him. And, and what we began to see happen was there was this blog online where people the world over were writing in prayers, And people were praying, and we prayed all the time because he was just so beloved, and and the prayers came from all over. And cancer took him, and he died. And in my heart, I felt something break. Like I don't even know what prayer is. What am I doing? Like, not just me. I wasn't the only one praying. It wasn't just my will. I mean, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people in countless countries and continents the world over are praying, and, and, and there's this feeling like, what are you doing, God? And I felt so hurt that I didn't make a conscious decision. It wasn't like, well, then fine, I won't. It wasn't anything like that. It just began at a heart level to change whether I felt like I knew what I wanted to do when I asked. Maybe you've been disappointed by God as well because we're singing songs that say you're never going to let me down and things like that, and maybe you feel like, but he has. And what do we do with that? Prayer. There's a second thing we do, though, and this is this. Why do we, uh, what did I put here? Why do I shrink back? Why, when I start to pray, do I start to hedge at hem and haw? Well, Lord, I... um, if you will it, and it be okay according to thine great purpose, you know, like that kind of thing we do. Instead of like a child asking, well, a couple of reasons. First of all, misunderstood sovereignty. If God's just going to do what God wants to do, why am I going to ask? Isn't it already decided? I have proof for you. First of all, that it's not because sin exists. In other words, God has a will for the universe that we often think of what's called His permissive will or his, uh, his 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 greater will. What He would really desire. And in the context of that, he has what he is going to affect, because he also is a will bearer in this universe, but he has always left space for us to affect the quotient. Now, imagine that, like, as a parent, um, Sandy and I want to go somewhere warm, and we want to go somewhere restful for our family where everyone's going to be safe, and we're planning a vacation, and maybe we're going to go to the mountains. I don't know why. Somewhere warm in the mountains. And, uh, and the kids say, hey, remember that beach vacation? It was amazing. Can we do it again? Yeah, You know, Okay. In so many ways, my children have the ability to change the scope of our purposes without changing the point of our purpose. You see how I did that? Yes, the beach also met our set of values. God has made it such that you also are a willbearer in this and that he counts your will as part of his. It was always part of his plan. And I know that because sin exists. And I know God does not want sin to exist. So therefore, he has left space between what he will do and what he will let us do. And if that's the case... Your prayers for the positive, also a part of that. Sometimes people act like God isn't, is only unsovereign where he lets sin happen, but not where he lets your creative will to dream and ask and to make good happen. Another reason, you won't really listen to me. I just talked about this. Sometimes I feel like those other people, they're the holy ones. And if you could really see what my soul's like, Maybe you wouldn't really, you know, and and I start to think that it's me he doesn't love. We spent a lot of time talking about trusting our Father in the last series. I'm not going to repeat all of that. But moving on, how about this one? It's easier not to ask and not be disappointed. Isn't that really what's going on? Think about, once again, being a parent. Go to this next verse. Check this out. Because this is Jesus talking, and he says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives asks, receives, and and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks will be opened. he says, of which of you, if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. And if you then who are evil, we're not as good as God is, know how to give gifts to your children, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? Sometimes my children ask me and I'm in a bad mood and I'm just a grumpy no and I should be a Yes. Been there? Here's what I'm talking about. Dad, can I have a no? (laughs) And if you ask again, that'll also be no, because all I want to be is left alone. If you were at Michael Brown's uh, Father's Day sermon last week, you know, none of those were ideal. Okay, okay, all right. But sometimes, as a parent, I'm actually doing it right. And I hope enough that I'm able to be an actual blessing to my children, because I deeply love them. But the fact is, as parents, I want my children to ask. I want them, because, you know, whatever they're asking for, cereal in the morning or a snack or whatever, I might intellectually know they need it or want it. And sometimes I'm like, it's cereal time, sit your butt down, you know, that kind of thing. But sometimes I really want them to have that ask because it's not really the thing. It's the relationship. It's the relationship. I want them to trust me. I want them in relationship with me. I want the opportunity to give good gifts. Asking is not just, hey, I need stuff. We need a material transaction happening. Asking and gift giving, those are out of a relational father-to-child heart. And Jesus is advertising that's the relationship God wants to you and us. And he's saying the best parent isn't as good at it as God. And then he taught us to pray. And I want to look at this famous prayer. Uh, maybe you've memorized it. Uh, you know, maybe if you grew up in the sort of um, Christian background where you, were, where you were taught to repeat things, that you can actually do this one in your sleep. Maybe you wake up mumbling. <laughs> but um, I want to look at it one phrase at a time, because what happened was Jesus' disciples, good Jewish boys who had been praying all their life, saw something in Jesus Enough to say, I don't know how to pray like he does. Whatever my praying is, it's not maybe the same thing as he's doing. And so they asked him, teach us how to pray. He's like, all right. And the prayer is this one. He says, our father in heaven, your name is holy, hallowed, set apart. You are the thing that I start with for my understanding of what is important. And the second thing he says is, because I know what you are and who you are and what you are about, I want to ask, first and foremost, I want to set myself and my being in place to understand it. I want to ask that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you I mean, I prayed those prayers? And there's that famous book that appeared in the 90s, Everything I learned to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, where he thought God's name was Howard. Howard, be thy name, you know. And he talks about that. And right? Maybe you've learned to mumble all these things. But actually, to actually take a moment, and I honestly want to invite you as you, if you're like really trying to learn to pray, someone else was the disciples. They asked Jesus how to do it, and this is what he told them. And he gave them the ultimate template. The ultimate template for really understanding what praying is and what it's like. Because notice, the first thing they do is they set their heart Jesus asks you to set your heart back into proper relationship with the Father and to acknowledge him for who he is as a dad, as the dad. That word father in in, in Aramaic is Abba. And I would have never have said your Abba. I would have said a different word and I've forgotten what it is. It's a proper name. Abba was only used when the child actually was addressing their parent. It has the most personal and intimate of tones or Abba. And occasionally you'll even hear Christians pray Papa because they've probably learned about this and their heart is looking to set itself in right relationship with God before they pray. Because when I say, oh Lord, which is what the common term we use, I often set my heart in, oh distant one who is greater than me, as opposed to what Jesus invited us to say is Papa. Now again, I don't really the words you use as much as the heart disposition that says, you love me and trust you. Your name is great. I want to trust you. And I want to ask that your ways on earth happen the same way that they happen in heaven. I want to participate in that. I think So much of why prayer doesn't work is, remember, these disciples who have been praying are like, I don't think my prayers are the same sort of thing as his. He began by saying, do you understand that when our purposes are not to be in right relationship with him and to be about the thing that is most heavenly and best? It's really difficult if my children ask me if they can drink Windex to say yes. Was that movie, The the Greek Wedding, where it was like all Windex or whatever? But as a parent, you're like, "Mm, okay. I I really want them to ask for things that are in line with the purposes of well-being and and the great, right? Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Today, we're going to take communion. And each time we take communion, I want to draw your eyes to the greatness of what it is. Because it is not just a remembrance that he died for us, although that is the very centerpiece of it. It is the picture of the whole Christian life. So last time we took it, we remembered that his Holy Spirit indwells us. And when we eat the bread, that's why Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no place with me. Because he really was saying, unless you learn to have me inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have what I have to offer. But today, I even want to invite you to recognize that when you pray and you ask God, you're asking him to give you the things we need. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. This is where it gets scary. Forgive us in the same style and in the same manner that we forgive others. Have you ever, uh, Maybe some of you who are parents, you have a kid who's just mistreated one of their brothers and sisters and then looks at you and wants you to treat them in well-being, and there's a certain resentment to that. <laughs> it's like, no. I'm going to actually expect you, and then we put them face to face, and you have to say sorry, and you have to say I forgive you. And we're like, and we're like trying to train them to do it, because until that right relationship is, we're not going to continue on, which is sort of like the request world, right? I honestly think a lot of what keeps me from praying and us from praying is because we know that our horizontal relationships are broken and messed up. And that we have resentment and contempt and anger and, and, and all the sort of negative emotions that are destructive toward others. And then when it comes time to him, we want to like say, but I really want you to not have that toward me no matter what I... And although he is like a parent always of the great loving disposition towards you, I want you to hear that in the great prayer, he asked you to set your heart right to others so that prayer would make sense and would work. There's a prayer, uh, there's a verse in Peter where he, it's very similar to this, where he's, uh, Peter just says, husbands, live your wives in such a way, uh, in an understanding and caring way so that your prayers don't get hindered. Husbands, if you mistreat your wives, God's not going to listen to your prayers. I mean, that's what Peter just said, because it has the same, he just had a very pointed application of this. When these relationships aren't right, this one's not. And as a parent, you know that. When your kids are at war, that's what you go to fix, Right? This is the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, can you put me on the path toward life that is right? I could talk about prayer for hours and hours. What I've learned, what's been a struggle. But I want you to hear this. In the weeds, when you get stuck, when the path feels weird, when God's saying go this way and life feels like it should go that way, and all the confusion and hurt that comes. If we have not learned to pray, I promise we'll always take the easy path that goes nowhere. We will. Because it's too scary to make those turns and to follow God through his ways, through the hard things, through the rebuilding of relationships, through the hard things, through the places that he wants to take us, when he asks us to lay things down and pick things up and all those things. We can't do them if our hearts have not learned to pray as a child talks to their parent with trust and belief that the parent has their best man, please, uh, please come. They're going to lead us in communion. And if you come, we want to ask, if you're not a believer in Jesus, this is, and it has been from the very beginning, this is a Christian rite, which is part of our celebration of Jesus having died for us. And we consider it really a badge of honor, and we admire those who say, I, I don't feel that it's for me. We're not going to look at you weird, like, why is that person not standing up? Please don't. It's for those who believe. It's for those who follow Jesus. And I hope maybe even gives you a picture of what it is that we uh, believe and see. But regardless, we ask that you would be able to come during worship, take communion, and celebrate that there is one who gives us daily bread. Thanks.